Good morning, True Life Church. Christine and I are going to be reading today from the book of James, chapter 5, starting at verse 14. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call for the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Elijah was a human being, even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it wouldn't rain, and it didn't rain on the land for three and a half years. Again, he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. Amen. 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 Let's pray. Lord Jesus, would you speak to us today? Would you speak to each person here, young, old, really young, really old, everybody? We've all got things that we've got going on in our lives, but Lord Jesus, you, your truth is relevant to each of us. I pray that you would speak to us, you would open our hearts, open our eyes, our minds, our ears, let us leave here different, changed, in your name, amen. I had a thought pop in my head in the middle of the night. It wasn't in my notes, but I wanted to ask you guys. I didn't ask the first service this. I wanted to ask you guys, just to think about it. Why did you come here today? What the heck are you thinking? Like, what were you thinking when you came here today? What? Why? Just think about that. Because we're doing this series, Reignite, and, you know, it's a catchy sort of title for a series, but it's really the point every time we get together is to be reignited. Like, to reignite our faith in, in, in who God is. Reignite our awe of who God is. Reignite our passion for who God is. And sometimes we might come here and not expect God to reignite us. Right? It's kind of a check it off the list or I'm being dragged here by my parents. Any kids get dragged here by their parents today? You can raise your hands, kids. You didn't feel like coming? Thank you for the honesty, sweetie. Thank you for the honesty. Any adults get dragged here by a spouse or a friend or a boyfriend or a girlfriend? You didn't feel like being here? Nobody wants to be that honest. Okay, that's okay. That's okay. I, I feel like that sometimes. I got to remember, no, God, reignite my passion for you, for who you are, for what you want to do in this world, what you want to do through me in this world, what you want to do through our church community. That's what this series is about. We talked so far about being a sending church. That was week one. We believe that God is a sending God. He sent Jesus into the world. God the Father sent God the Son. God the Son sent God the Spirit into the church. That's us. And God the Spirit sends us out into the world to be on mission for him, to proclaim the good news that he actually rose from the dead. He's alive. April and Joe were sent off to help plant a church in Long Branch for that reason. April and Joe Walters. We want to plant churches. We want to plant campuses. We want to send out missionaries because God is ascending God. We're praying for 70 people to be sent out by 2027 as either missionaries, church planners, or to help church planning teams. So far, we've sent out two. This year, we're praying for four. We're praying that four of you leave here by next year to go 
be a part of God's mission where people need to hear the message, the good news of Jesus Christ. The next week, we talked about being a praying church. And we talked about being a praying church because God has ordained that the prayers of his people actually change the world. When we pray, things happen that would not happen if we didn't pray. Unfathomable. Isn't it crazy? Ain't that crazy? It's crazy when I think about that. That our prayers change things. So we have prayer gatherings. We pray together. We want to be a church that puts a high priority on prayer, not just as individuals, but as a community. We want to multiply our prayer gatherings so that we have like 10 of them by next year. Right now we have two. We fast together for this reason on Thursdays. We do sometimes these extended fasts. We've got another one coming up on February 2nd through 4th. It's a Tuesday night through a Thursday night, a two-day fast. You can find out more information about that, what it entails. You can email info at truelifenj.com. Fill out a connect card, one of those cards that Pastor Rigo was talking about. There's one on your seat somewhere around you. Say that you want more information on that. It's going to just be a separate group who is committed for those two days, praying for certain things for our church. But fasting is one way that drives us to pray. God, I'm hungry physically, but I want to be more hungry for you. God, I need food for strength, but more so I need you for spiritual strength and vitality. And then we talked last week, Bill Meyer, who's a guest speaker with us, came and talked about being a justice-seeking church because God has a heart for justice. His future kingdom is coming when Jesus returns and he's going to usher in a kingdom of perfect righteousness and justice. No corruption. No evil in that government. It's going to be a perfect government. And so Jesus has called us, his people, his church, to be a colony of that future kingdom on earth. And to bring pieces and hints and and pictures of what that future kingdom will be like here and now for the vulnerable, the oppressed, the marginalized, the least of these. This is why we've got some of our justice and mercy ministries happening. We've got a tutoring program. We've got a team that goes into an assisted living home. We've got a soup kitchen team. We've got uh, uh, some new initiatives we're trying to start, uh, teaching English to those who need to learn English. We want to sponsor women and couples in crisis pregnancies and help them make the choice of, of, of keeping their, their child, their baby, We've got a new podcast that Tom Sargent and I will be doing over the next few months, talking and uh, uh, trying to educate folks about some justice issues like human trafficking, abortion, um, how to care for the foreigners among us, how to care for the hungry among us, how to care for the fatherless among us. And then today, today, we're talking about being a healing church, a church where people are healed. Physically, emotionally, mentally, marriage-wise. At the end of today, here's what we're going to do. We're going to pray for two groups of people. We're going to pray for two groups of people. People who need physical healing in their bodies and people who need marriage healing. Whether it's as couples or one spouse because their other spouse ain't coming to church because their marriage is in such bad shape. And everything in between. I'm going to pray for those two groups of people, physical healing and marriage healing and anything in between. I'm going to preach on physical healing in my sermon, and then we've got a testimony about a marriage that has been restored in 2020. Okay? That's the plan for today, in case you're wondering. 
So, let's get into the sermon. We're going to be in James chapter 5, verses 14 through 18. Here's the main point I want you to see. That we want to be a healing church because Jesus not only took our sins upon himself, but also our infirmities. Okay, the, the reason we want to be anything as a church is because of who God is first. Sending, healing, praying, church, it all flows out of who God is first, right? We're not just coming up with this stuff. It comes up from who God is. He's a, he's a God who in his word says he took our infirmities upon himself, not just our sins. We're going to see that today. My, my hope, in other words, today is to paint the picture of what it means practically to be a healing church and grab hold of this. In December, I talked about healing and talked about how God still heals and he does miracles today. And a lot of people are like, yeah, 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 I believe that, sure. But then they're like, but how do I know that my particular sickness is something that God wants to heal? How do I know who I should ask to pray for me when I want healing? Do I need to find somebody who has the gift of healing? Do I need to go to one of those like, like conferences somewhere or some person who has a special, you know, they call themselves the healer? Do I have a gift of healing? Can I pray for somebody? Some of those practical questions. What does it look like for a church community to embrace this together and to lean into this together? So, James chapter 5, verses 14 through 18. Christine and Andrew just read it for us. We're going to take it verse by verse, phrase by phrase a little bit. If you have your Bibles, use a highlighter. Follow along, take some notes. Let's get, let's get rolling. Verse 14, James says, is any among you sick? Okay, so right off the bat, he presupposes that people are going to struggle with sickness and disease in the church communities that he's writing to. He's, he's, he's presupposing that we're going to do battle with sickness and disease. It's going to come against some of us, and some of us will be sick. So he's not painting this picture that, okay, you, you trust in Jesus, and it's, it's, it's perfect dandy, you know, sprinkles and unicorns from here on out. No, you're going to do battle with sickness, and some of us here are doing battle with sickness. What's funny— well, not so funny, but it's ironic. On Thursday morning, I was up early working on this, 7 a.m. The kids hadn't come downstairs yet. Jess was on a run. I was working on this, and I felt bad, like physically bad. I had some symptoms in my respiratory system that I used to have because of some chronic illnesses. Long story sh that I'm not going to get into. But I was feeling pretty crappy, and I was like, what's wrong with me? And as the time was going on, I was like, man, this is... I'm feeling really bad. I had to go lay down on the couch for a few minutes before the kids got down. While I'm working on a message about healing. Ain't that funny? Now, I'll tell you what happened on that particular day later on in the message. But my point in bringing that up is I'm not preaching on healing from a place of being naive that like, like, like we don't do battle with this. And that some of us in here aren't doing battle with it right now. And that we're not struggling with certain things. Maybe it's an acute virus or maybe it's a chronic thing like MS. I was praying for somebody in the last service who has MS. Maybe it's cancer that you're doing battle with. I've had chronic health stuff since I was a kid. So not speaking from a place of uh, being naive Sickness and disease comes against God's people. What do we do? Well, James tells us, let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. You're sick? This is what you do. These are some instructions here. 
Call the elders of the church. Now, who are the elders of the church? Can you only call the elders of the church? Don't you have to call those elders who have the gift of healing? What do you, like, there's some questions there. We, we could spend a lot of time on that. Let me just kind of address a few things. First of all, the elders. They were seen as the spiritual leaders of the church, spiritual covering of the church. They were the ones who were seen as being mature in their faith, knowing God's word, knowing the character and nature of God, particularly knowing that he's a healing God, knowing that they are called to shepherd this church. So if somebody's sick, they're like, well, I can call those guys because they're, they're called to shepherd our church and serve our church. It doesn't mean they're the only ones who can pray for healing because in verse 16, it's going to say, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another. So one another means one another, right? That's all of us. We can all pray for one another. So James is just saying one way to do that is to call on the elders because of all people who should be uh, understanding that God's a healing God are th those spiritual leaders. But they're not the only ones who are exercising leadership in the church. They're not the only ones who care for and serve people in the church. But especially them should be mature in their faith, knowing God's word, believing for healing, to come alongside and to anoint with oil. Now, some will say, well, what about the gifts of healing? Don't they have to have the, the gifts of healing in order to call on them? I say no. And here's why I say no. Because when you get called on to pray for somebody for healing, you just ask God for the gift of healing in that moment. You, you don't have to wonder, am I a healer? Do I have the gift of healing? You say, well, I, I want to pray for somebody. So Lord, show up. Give me a gift of healing. 1 Corinthians 12 talks about different gifts being given to the church. Gifts of miracles, gifts of faith, gifts of healing, uh, prophecy. Some people interpret that as, you know, Quentin has the gift of healing and he's going to have the gift of healing the rest of his life. And Frank doesn't. Because Frank prayed for somebody who wasn't healed, so he must not have the gift of healing. Don't bother Frank with that. He, not, he can't do nothing. I don't interpret that that way. I, I believe that it, 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 it's a picture of God giving different gifts to different people at different times, situation by situation, not person by person. You can't put people in categories. I ain't go, well, he doesn't have to give the healing. Because at the end of that chapter of 1 Corinthians 12, and you can look at it later, don't have time for it now, it says, eagerly desire the greater gifts. Paul wouldn't tell us to desire the greater gifts if it was a fixed thing, if we were just put in categories. Quentin has a healing gift, Frank doesn't. Nothing you can do about it, Frank. Paul's like, no, Frank, desire the greater gifts. And what's a greater gift? Well, if his wife is sick, the greatest gift right there is a gift of healing. Pray for her and she's healed. So when the elders are called upon to pray for somebody who's sick, they're driving over to pray for somebody, they're saying, Lord, give me a gift of healing today. I want to I love this person by granting them a gift of healing today. If we're going to be praying for people at the end of service who are coming down here, praying, Lord, Grant the people who are praying a gift of healing. Work through them. Anointing with oil. What's the deal with oil? Is that like supernatural? Is it magic? Is oil magic? Do you always have to use oil? Is it a reference to the physical benefits of oil, right? Like the, 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 the scientific benefits? Anybody sell essential oils? Anybody got any Arbonne parties coming up? You got invited to? You're, maybe you're throwing... I'm not knocking it. We've got essential oils in my house. There are physical benefits to oil. 
olive oil and peppermint oil and oil of oregano and coconut oil. They all got physical benefits. But that's not what James is talking about here. So use that stuff. Use it for its medicinal purposes. Just don't use this passage to sell those oils. Told the last service. Okay? <laughs> Just don't use this passage to sell. That's not what James is talking about. He's talking about the symbol uh, that it represented. The oil represented the power and the presence of God. The power and presence of God. That's what it always represented in Scripture. The power and presence of God. So they anoint with oil because it represents that we're coming believing that God's presence and power is available to us to heal this person. And oil, the physical act of putting oil on somebody, has a, it can activate somebody's faith because we're physical beings. We're not just spiritual beings. Jesus didn't just save your soul. He saved your body. He's got a new body. He's got a resurrected version of that body for you one day to live on this earth, a, a renewed version of this earth one day. So the physical sacraments that God has instituted, like baptism, it's physical. People say, I don't have to get baptized to, you know, to, to be a Christian. Well, you kind of do. It's because scripture says it's your whole body that's saved. So you get baptized because if your spirit's saying yes and your body's saying no, it's too embarrassing to get in water, something's off there. There's a disconnect, right? It's an act of obedience going through a sacrament. Communion, bread and wine. That's a physical sacrament because we're physical beings and it has a, has a way of activating our faith. Similar to the way we fold our hands sometimes, bow our, our heads when we pray or lift our hands when we praise or, or, or bend our knees when we want to give God devotion and adoration. What we do physically has a way of connecting with our souls and our spirits. So oil is simply a way of activating the faith. It's, it's the household of God coming together and saying, hey, we're believing here. And this oil represents the power and presence of God that's available to us. And we're coming in the name of the Lord, in the name of Jesus. So I'm praying for Quentin. I'm not coming and saying, God, please heal, Quint please heal Quentin because he's such a good boy. He, he was so good this past week, or he's a hard worker. We're not doing that. We're not saying, God, Quentin really deserves to be healed as if somebody else doesn't. None of us really do deserve it, right? We're coming in the name of the Lord because Jesus died and rose again. He purchased for us an inheritance. And part of that inheritance as his children, his adopted sons and daughters, part of that inheritance is healing. Is healing. Sins forgiven and the curse of sickness broken. Now, I want to show you, we're going to jump away from James for a moment because some of you guys are like, nah, I don't believe that. I want to show you something. We're going to, we're going to look, look at Isaiah 53, and then we're going to look at Matthew 8 real quick. Okay? So Isaiah 53 is a prophecy about the coming Messiah. And Isaiah says this. You just look at verses 4 to... I don't even know what that says there. 4 to 5. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. I underline that. See that? You can underline it in your Bibles. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. So what did Isaiah mean when he was referring to griefs and sorrows? What did he mean when he was talking about wounds being his wounds, by his wounds we are healed? Is it a spiritual healing only? 
certainly it includes spiritual healing, but some have interpreted that as only spiritual healing, only about sins forgiven, only about a spiritual comfort that the Messiah would bring to us. The problem with that narrow interpretation of Scripture is another person who wrote another book of the Bible, Matthew. In Matthew's Gospel, we see this picture in Matthew chapter 8, where Jesus is healing people, and Matthew sees Jesus healing people, and he says this. That, verses 16 to 17 of Matthew 8. That evening they brought to him many who were oppressed by demons, and he cast out the spirits with a word and healed all who were sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. What was to fulfill? Jesus healing people, right? This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illnesses and bore our diseases. He's referencing Isaiah 53. So those griefs, those sorrows, what Jesus took upon himself, Matthew's interpreting that as illnesses and diseases. That, 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 that healing that Isaiah 53 referred to in verses 4 to 5, Matthew's interpreting, interpreting that as the healing of diseases and sicknesses. He's seeing Jesus healing, saying that's fu the fulfillment of Isaiah 53 there in those verses. Healing is part of the atonement, the, the, the sacrifice that Jesus made. He, he paid for our sins. He paid for our sicknesses. Now, the logical question that many would raise after hearing me say something like that is, well, then why are people sick? Why do I still struggle with disease? Why is that still in my family? Why am I wearing a mask in church during COVID-19 crisis? On one hand, there's no real simple answer to that. I don't have one. On the other hand, I have an attempt at an answer, and I'll share it with you. I, I would say that the reason we struggle with sickness is the same reason we still struggle with sin. But when we trust in Jesus, sin is done with, in the sense that it, it doesn't have the final word anymore. The penalty against you is gone. You are no longer under condemnation for your sin. You, you, sin is no longer held against you. You're, you. If you trust in Jesus today, your sins are forgiven. You will still sin tomorrow. It's still forgiven. It's covered by Jesus' sacrifice. Sin does not have the final word. You do not have to worry no longer about whether your sins will one day be counted against you. They are, once and for all time, canceled because of the blood of Jesus. In the same way, the sicknesses and diseases that have a hold on our bodies are broken. It does not have the final word anymore. Death does not have the final word. Death is a doorway into eternity with Jesus. It, 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 it doesn't have the hold it used to have on these bodies anymore. Amen. That is good news. Now, when Jesus returns the second time, the presence of sin will be gone, and we will no longer even wrestle with the temptation of sin. And the presence of sickness and disease will be gone. We will no longer wrestle with that. In the meantime, yes, we wrestle with the temptation to sin, and sometimes we fall. But guess what? God has promised his spirit, by the power of that spirit, that we can do battle with sin and be victorious. And likewise, 
We will do battle with sickness and disease that will come against us because of this broken world. But he has promised by his spirit, because of his sacrifice, that we can get into the ring with it and expect healing miracles. And we will wrestle with that until he comes back, but we can expect to have power and authority over sicknesses and disease, just like we can over our struggle with sin. Will it be perfect? No. But that shouldn't stop us from getting in the ring and expecting some victories, expecting some miracles to break in, especially for those who've trusted in Jesus. Now, God can do miracles for everybody, but the Bible is, is making this uh, picture that those who have trusted in Jesus have a greater reason to expect healing miracles because they have been transferred into God's kingdom, into his family as adopted sons and daughters who have trusted in Jesus' sacrifice, who have trusted in him for the forgiveness of sins and from the curse over our created bodies. And so when James talks about the elders coming and anointing in the name of the Lord, that's what it means. Jesus, we're coming in your name. We're coming because you died and rose again. We're coming because we bear your name. We're part of your family. If my kids ask me to feed them, they have good reason for, to expect me to feed them. They're my kids. Now, I might feed somebody else's kids too, but of all people, my kids have a greatest reason to expect me to give them some food. And adopted sons and daughters, God's like, hey, there's an inheritance for you, a future body that's perfect. And I want to give you tastes of that future body here. And so to come in the name of the Lord, we're saying, Jesus, give me a taste of that future body. It's part of our inheritance together. And he tells the person who's sick. No, do you notice that? It's the person who's sick, who calls, who asks for healing, who asks for prayer. In other words, they're not sitting around waiting for every, everybody else to find out they're sick through the grapevine and call them and come visit them and then feeling sorry for themselves if nobody does. They're taking initiative because they're rep recognizing that, hey, these are instructions for me. I'm sick. I need to call somebody to come pray for me. Nor are they doing the other extreme, which is to be prideful and go, well, there's other people worse off than me. I don't want to waste anybody's prayers. I don't want to waste anybody's time. I don't want to waste God's time. That's just pride, silliness. Of course there's people worse off than you. That doesn't mean that if you're not sick, you don't call somebody to pray for you. In the name of the Lord. Let's keep going. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick. And the Lord will raise him up, and if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. So the prayer of faith will save the one who's sick. Let's start there. What is the prayer of faith? Is that a special prayer? Only some people know how to pray. Is it saying that if you're not healed, it's because you did not have enough faith? Certainly some people have overemphasized the role of faith and have said that, you know, if, you're not sick, if you didn't get healed, it's because of your lack of faith. And it leaves people analyzing 
how much faith they have and then pointing the finger at each other saying you must not have had enough faith and that's one extreme abuse of that. We don't do that when it comes to our faith in Jesus' forgiveness of our sins. We don't say, well, I still struggled with that sin today. Maybe he didn't forgive me. Maybe that's because I didn't have enough faith that one time I asked him to forgive, right? We don't, we don't do that. We shouldn't do that. Jesus said all it takes is the faith of a mustard seed. On the other hand, the other extreme is to completely downplay and diminish the role of faith and to go completely passive and say, well, if God's going to heal, he's going to heal. Nothing for us to do. But again, we don't do that when it comes to trusting in him for the forgiveness of our sins. We don't say, well, if he's going to forgive people, he's going to forgive people. We, we urge people to trust in him, to place their faith in him for the forgiveness of sins. We access the inheritance that he purchased by faith. We trust in him. He didn't die and rise again, and then everybody's automatically forgiven. We have to come to him, cling to him, trust in him. And so what James is saying is that when somebody's healed, it's because of the prayer of faith. It's because we grabbed hold of it. We came to him in faith that he's a healing God. It's not guaranteeing that every time we pray for somebody that the results are exactly what we ask for, but we come expectantly, believing he's a healing God, but believing it's part of our inheritance as followers of Jesus. The results are in his hands. We're open-handed about it, but we're expectant about it. And we're praying a prayer of faith, knowing that God hear, hears us and he responds to our prayers. And I believe it's the people in this passage, it's the people who are doing the praying that are to pray the prayer of faith, that are, that are to have faith. They're, they're the ones who are expected to have the faith. Because sometimes the person who's sick doesn't have much faith. They're, they're doubting. They're psychologically depressed, discouraged, right? They're emotionally off. And like, that's okay. That's not a reason to feel ashamed or guilt-ridden. It just is a reason why we need a community of faith where we can come alongside each other. And if I'm praying for Frank and Frank's down because he's been dealing with this for a few years and I find out about it and I show up and go, Frank, let's pray for that. He's like, dude, I've been prayed over 10 times. I'm still not healed. That's okay, Frank. You can have doubts right now, but I got faith for you in this moment. Let's pray for you. Right, Frank? You'd let us do that, right? All right, let's keep going. Let's, let, let's look, at, uh, look, look again at verses 15 and 16 here. If he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you might be healed. What does sins have to do with sickness? What does being forgiven have to do with being healed? What's the connection there? Why are they together? There's, there's three reasons why I think they're tied together. Sins and sickness, being forgiven and being healed. Number one, being healed physically is evidence that we've been forgiven. Again, God's a physical God. His kingdom's coming. There's no sickness in that kingdom. Healing of our physical bodies 
is a sign that God's kingdom is real and that when he said we're forgiven, we're forgiven. We see this in the ministry of Jesus. He would tell somebody, your sins are forgiven. And then he'd say, now to prove I have authority to forgive sins, get up and walk. Because you might not believe that, that you're forgiven because I said so, so get up and walk. See, see everybody see him walking? He's forgiven too. Right? So be, being healed physically is a reminder that oh, God's grace, God's a forgiving, I'm forgiven. Now that's one reason. The second reason is that confessing our sins, getting them out in the open, takes a burden off our souls that sometimes we don't even realize how crushing that burden can be. When we keep secrets, when we're ashamed of something, when we're holding something inside and we're not confessing it, it can cripple us, not just spiritually, but physically. It can eat away at us. You ever experienced that? You ever experienced that? You're hiding something. Nobody else knows about it. Eats away at you. Science is backing this up. Scripture pointed to this all along, but science is backing this up more and more. One study done out of the University of Dallas in, in Houston says this. It says that, uh, I'm just going to read from an article. Recent studies at the University of Texas, Austin, have shown that writing down secrets, Austin, my bad, not Houston, have shown that writing down secrets in a journal or telling a doctor your secrets actually decreases the level of stress hormones in your body. Keeping a secret, meanwhile, does the opposite. So keeping a secret increases stress hormones in your body, leads to more inflammation in your body, and, 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 and causes different havoc types of things to go on in your body. Right? There's a, there's, a, there's a physical connection there. God made us whole beings. There's a physical connection there. That's the second reason. And then the third reason, the third reason is that I, I, sin and sickness are tied together because unconfessed sin quenches the power and presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. This, in a spiritual sense, it can quench, stop, hinder the presence and power of God's Spirit in our lives from working in the way God wants to work. We see this in, in a few places elsewhere in the Bible. Uh, Jesus said that if you stand at the altar giving a sacrifice and you realize you have something against a brother, don't, don't bother giving that sacrifice. You better go and make things right with that person and then you come back and offer your sacrifice. It, they're connected. In 1 Peter, it says to husbands, if you're not being gentle with and honoring your wives, your prayers will be hindered. You're being abusive with your wife, God's like, I'm not listening to you until you go make that right. So there's a connection there. So unconfessed sin, whether it's on the part of the person being prayed over or the person doing the praying, can hinder, quench the power and presence of God in their lives. That's why 1 John 1.9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God wants us to trust him for forgiveness, not hide stuff. He wants us to live openly before him and to hide stuff, hold on to stuff, not confess stuff. 
It can quench his power and his presence in our lives. This is why a lot of people who are, who are living with something where they're not telling anybody, they're holding on to it because there's, there's shame involved, and then they're wondering why God's presence is not felt in another area of their life. And it, there could be a connection. I'm not saying there always is. Please don't hear me say that. But it's enough scriptural reason to say, Lord, I'm struggling here. Is there anything I need to confess? And if he brings something to light, we confess it. If he doesn't, if there's nothing in our minds, we don't have to go searching for it. But if he brings something to mind, we go, mm, I better get that out in the open. I better tell somebody about that. Then we better do it. We better do it. A few months ago, Pastor Jeff and I were involved in praying for somebody, and Pastor Shea were involved in praying for somebody for healing. And while praying, one of us felt led to ask the question, is there any unconfessed sin in your life? Like, is there something you're not, you haven't told anybody that you've struggled with? And after a while, it was a few moments of them kind of hemming and hawing a little bit. After a while, they admitted they had an affair. They had cheated on their spouse and had never told anybody. And it was pretty significant for them to get that off their chest. And we're like, whoa, okay. Let's, let's, let's ask God for forgiveness. You confess that God's a forgiving God. And you better tell your spouse. And then after a little hemming and hawing about that, they told their spouse. Their spouse, super gracious, forgiving. And they were just saying, man, the burden that I feel, I just was just able to let go of. They were so grateful. The freedom on their countenance after un unloading that was huge. So this is why we want to be a little annoying sometimes to say, hey, is there anything in your life that you need to get out in the open? I'll pray for you for healing, but maybe, is there anything? I don't ask that every time, but sometimes I feel led to ask that question. So that's a connection there. James says, confess your sins to each other. Pray for one another. Again, it's the whole community. We're all called to do this. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. And then look at verse 17 as it ends the passage. Elijah was a man. This is important. This, it sounds like this is a completely different topic, but just, it's not. Stay with me here. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. So Elijah is a guy from the Old Testament. He's a prophet from the Old Testament, miracle worker, um, famous guy in the Old Testament for the people James is writing to. The people reading James's letter would go, Elijah, he's a whole different category from us, James. He, he's one of those all-star people of faith. And, and, the, and James is like, he has a nature just like you, bro. And what's James's point? You can pray and expect God to answer your prayers just like James did, or just like Elijah did. That's his whole point. James's audience, he knew, would have some of the same arguments that you and I have. Oh, the miracles is for those old people who are superstars in the faith. Not for me, not for my prayers, not for my life. Some of us might even say not for our time. There's a whole system of theology that would say that miracles only happen during the time of Moses and Joshua, then Elijah and Elisha, and then Jesus and the apostles. And this passage is one reason why I don't believe that's the case. James is like, 
uh, Elijah is just like you. He prayed some crazy prayers that got answered. And that's the reason why you should pray crazy prayers like asking for healing. That's his whole reason of tacking that on to this passage on praying for healing. It's because he's saying, I want you to be motivated to pray. Elijah wasn't anything special. He's got a nature just like you. Same God. So pray big prayers of faith. So in summary, as I end, in summary, what does it mean to be a healing community? Number one, sick people ask for prayer for healing. You're not too prideful. You're not too bashful. You ask for it. You take initiative. Number two, everyone, but especially the leaders, are prepared to pray for those who are sick with expectation. With expectation. Number three, uh, there it is. We need each other's faith because doubts will come. We don't beat each other up. Come on, bro, you've got to have more faith. No, we need each other's faith. We need each other's faith. Number four, we pray in Jesus' name. Understanding healing is covered in Jesus' sacrifice. We don't worry about whether or not we deserve it. You don't. Just keep that simple. You don't deserve healing. Okay? So you don't have to worry and wonder about that anymore. You don't. Jesus died and rose again so that you can receive it. Number five, we ask for gifts of healing. When we're praying for somebody, ask for the gift of healing. doesn't matter if you've never had it before. You just ask for it in that moment. Number six, we confess sin to each other. Number seven, we don't hyperanalyze when healing doesn't happen. We just continue to pray fervently, expectantly, passionately, just like Elijah did. Keep on keeping on. And number eight, we celebrate and share stories of miraculous healing when they happen to inspire each other, that God is still a healing God. He still shows up. I'll return to that story on Thursday when I wasn't feeling well. I went off to our prayer gathering at 9 a.m. that morning at the church office. There was only a few people there. Matt Dornacker was there. Addie was there. Nicole Ricanda was there. And I was praying, we were praying, I wasn't feeling well. And at the end of it, I was like, I should probably ask for healing. I'm preaching on this and we we're praying for other people. I was like, hey guys, would you mind praying for me? So they, they got around me, I was sitting in a chair, they just kind of put their hands on my shoulder and they prayed. And they prayed passionately and fervently and they prayed the prayer of faith, believing that God's a healing God. And I was expecting that God's gonna heal. He's a healing God. I was expecting God to heal like that, like boom. He didn't. Not like that. But over the course of that day, I felt better and better and better until the afternoon I was completely better. And these were symptoms that like, I felt like I'm, I'm coming down with something. And it was boom, done, gone. And I attribute that to those guys praying prayer of faith over me that day. Those were symptoms that I had from chronic illnesses that I used to struggle with regularly in my respiratory system that got healed a few years ago. I actually did a healing testimony here about that, where it was just, I feel like it was completely healed, and I, and I stopped struggling with it. Interestingly, around the same time that I got healed of that stuff, I got hit with new chronic things. And some of you know about some of the new chronic stuff that I've been dealing with over the last few years. And I'm often asking for prayers for healing. I'm asking different people to pray for me at different times. And, I, and, 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 and some days it's like, boom, I do a complete 180 with the symptoms. 
where I'm like, man, I don't know if I'm going to make it through the day, and somebody prays for me, and then boom. It's like I get this supernatural energy. I feel so much better. Now, with those particular things that I'm referencing, sometimes a few days later, the symptoms come back. And there's two ways to look at that. One way is to look at that and go, well, then you weren't healed. They came back. That's one way. I choose to look at it a different way, or at least I try to look at it a different way. I choose to look at it as, well, I got healed that day. Today's another opportunity for me to be healed again. And if they come back tomorrow, there's another opportunity to be healed again. But I've experienced God's, when you have a chronic illness, you get so many opportunities to experience God's healing power in your life. It's pretty awesome. You get so many testimonies to come out of it in one freaking week, right? So that's the way I'm looking at it until the symptoms no longer come back anymore. Maybe that's you. You've got some chronic stuff. Let's pray for you today. Let's pray that symptoms don't come back at all. Let's pray for complete healing. And let's trust the results to God, but let's pray expectantly. Maybe it's something acute, something that's just popped up. Maybe it's just allergies. <laughs> let's pray for it. Let's pray for it. We want to be a healing church because Jesus not only took our sins upon himself, but also our infirmities. So we're going to pray for some bodies today in a few moments. First, I want to show a testimony, another story of what God did in 2020. This is about a marriage being restored and multiple miracles surrounding this marriage being restored. And this is why we're including marriages in praying today as well. We've been praying for marriages since day one of our church. Uh, one of our goals over this past year was to have four testimonies of marriages restored. We got two, okay? We got two. This is the second one. So without further ado, take a look at the screen. Yeah, I think I'm good. All right, ready? Okay. Going into 2020, where was your marriage at? Well, Don and I have been together since we were 14 years old. He's always been the love of my life. But at that time, I really didn't like him. It was scary. Uh, I felt very unappreciated, lonely, and very disconnected, you know. We've been together for so long, and we've gone through a lot since his diagnosis of MS. So it's changed both of us. It's changed who we are, right? Yeah, seriously. And we were just miserable being around one another. We weren't happy. Now looking back, um, I probably didn't realize I was bad as what I really was, but I was a nasty person. But I was a nasty person to the person I loved the most, to my caretaker. I mean, like, how could you, how, how could you have done that? But. It's tough being in pain all day, okay? And uh, it grinds on you. It's no excuse. It's no excuse in the grand scheme of things. But to realize I brought our marriage to the point where the love of my life was gonna walk away, it was kind of like, okay, something's wrong here. Not that I wasn't praying for him before, but I started praying for him in a different way. I was praying for more miracles to happen more like I believe he can get better I'm not gonna ever give up 
I, I won't. I refuse to. And that was the problem that he had given up. I did give up. He gave up. Without realizing I gave up. He was depressed. Was he was down. He didn't angry. do anything. After I was praying, I was seeing, honestly, it was like little miracles happened. Little things. And he didn't know what I was doing because I didn't tell him. You know what I mean? Until, honestly, it was maybe like not even a week. And he was changing because I was changing. He started exercising. I wasn't even asking him. He started exercising. He never, um, I, I mean, hope you don't mind. But he wasn't doing anything to help himself. He wasn't exercising. He was very arrogant and nasty. And all of a sudden, he would be like, say something. And I, I, the one thing I learned was to shut my mouth. You, we have to sometimes and put it in God's hands. And it's amazing what God does for us when you just learn to put it in God's hands. I learned to pray, you know, you know what, Cindy? You don't have control over him and what's going to happen to him and how, what tomorrow is going to be or next year. But God has control. I was trying to take care of him and do every little thing. And I had to learn to just shut up. It, truly, I had to learn to shut up and let God take over. And he did. And I started seeing a softening in myself. I've been praying to be softened a little bit. I've been praying not to be arrogant. I've been praying when you're Italian, it's hard to shut your mouth a lot. For me, it was the Sermon on Forgiveness. It was the first thing that started really softening my heart. The second thing was the, was the Sermon on putting God and Jesus in their place compared to politics. That put me so at ease. After that sermon, I told my life group, I don't watch Fox News for, for a week. And my wife will attest, I watch Fox News for 90 minutes. Oh dear God, uh, yeah. he recorded it, please. Not a big political person, but we would argue about politics and it was horrible. We shouldn't talk about Fox. I know, but, but no, you understand that's... talk about politics. <laughs> I'm not talking about politics, but I am talking about the sermon that... Oh, I couldn't ...freed stand. me. It freed me. We learned how to pray together. We prayed together for the first time. The biggest influence on the way I pray is Dan Doorknocker. Of course, way, going way back. Now, going back seven years ago to some of the first life groups I was in, I asked, huh? How do I pray? And Dan started with saying, just start thanking God for, for everything that's happened in your life. Thank him for the roof over your head. Thank him for the warm bed that you're sleeping in. And that helped me tremendously. That helped me start my personal journey on how to pray. And I really learned that from Cindy and Dan Dornacker when we were involved in the Marriage on the Rocks um, Life Group, which was another great group that we were involved on with. On the Rock. Or, the well, rocks. on the Rocks, whatever, on the Rock, you know what I mean. <laughs> but uh, uh, anyway, but Cindy and Dan had shared with our group how they pray together in the morning, and I'm like, oh, why haven't we ever done that yeah. before? And it really, I, 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 honestly, it was life-changing, I think. So we've had uh, multiple answers to our prayers. Serious prayers being answered. Yeah. Don recently got a job working um, at a golf course, 
as a uh, as a ranger driving around the golf course, which is perfect for him. Another uh, miracle God helped us with, Don hasn't fallen. I, I, we were talking to my daughter last night, telling her that we were gonna be doing this interview, and I'm like, you know, Daddy hasn't fallen, and, and I figured it out. It's been two months. Yeah. You gotta remember, there were times he'd fall three times in a weekend. Our son got married this year, finally to Christina, after we've been waiting six years. They're united, they're living in Florida. They got married November 14th. Another major answer to our prayer was just this Thursday, uh, we were at his neurologist. neurologist checkup appointment and we found out there's a new medication that just came out for MS that we're gonna be guinea pigs with for... I mean, literally it was just approved by the FDA. I've been sober for a year and a half now. Truly, me quit drinking was an experience I had with the Holy Spirit that I had never experienced in my whole life. I thought I would die as an alcoholic, like my father died. My father and mother were both alcoholics. And I thought, I, I could never, ever give up. And she never shared that with me, too, that she would die as an alcoholic, just like her father did. And that really, when she said that to me, it was so important that she did stop. As we end 2020, um, I'm just so thankful for what the past year has helped us with. Yes. You know, I, I, it's, it's odd to say, after being with someone for 49 years, that it's so great to feel that we felt years ago. Yeah. Like, to get yeah. that spark and, like, oh, my God, I, I, I knew I could never live without him. To be I, happy I to that. see you that when you came home. What'd you say? <laughs> to be happy to see you when you yeah. came home. <laughs> We look at things so much differently. Yeah. I think that's the best way to that describe is a good it. Way we, to say. We, we look at things so much differently. Yeah. And if I could sum up as we end 2020, um, I'm looking for the things to come. It's just the way we feel. And we're happy to be doing it together. Yeah. So.